Please turn in your Bible to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. As I was sitting on the platform here, just looking out amongst you, uh, just seeing your faces, hearing your testimonies, it's a stirring thing. I recognize the fact that uh, the young people that we have here are not perfect young people. And yet, that being the case, in this room there is represented enough power to turn the world upside down. And I think you've been here long enough to know it's not because of your talent. It's not because of your training. It's because within you there is a reservoir of divine, supernatural power that God desperately wants to unleash upon the people of this world. Verse 37 of chapter 7, there is a verse that has been a very precious verse to me countless times as I've prepared my heart to stand before people who need to hear about Jesus, and they don't just need to hear about Him, they need to see Him. I want to talk to you a little bit about these verses that I trust uh, can help make sense of what it means to, uh, to have Christ in you, Christ through you, and to have Christ be lifted up so that all men would be drawn unto him. Let's, let's go ahead and take a look at these two verses. Verse 37 says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. Here in this passage, Jesus is giving an analogy, and this analogy is one that helps us make sense of what it means to live the Christian life, what it means to have Christ live his life through you. Here is what, as we heard earlier, is to happen through every individual as a part of the greatest program that has ever stepped foot on this planet, the church of God. This is what God wants to be true of every single one of us. And I want to spend some time here talking about how you and I can be a conduit of Christ this morning. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we come before you now, and I, as the preacher, as I'm sure each one of the listeners are thinking, our heart cries are this, we cannot do what is expected of us during this time. I cannot preach as I ought to. I'm weak. Lord, I may have preached this message before, and yet, Lord, I'm no weaker, uh, no stronger now than I was the very first time. Or there may be some here in this room that have even heard me preach this message before, and yet, God, I pray that you would speak. I pray, Lord, that you would be the one working uh, behind this pulpit this afternoon. Um, I do ask for your anointing and your unction to be able to declare this sacred spot in the pages of the Scripture. I pray, Lord, that you would fill me full to overflowing, and as 
my mouth moves and as words come out of my mouth, that it would be Jesus that speaks. I pray, God, that you would change our paradigms where they need to be changed. I pray, confront us where we need to be confronted. I pray that you would construct in our hearts and in our minds a proper understanding of what it means to live the Christ life. And I pray, Lord, that you would send us out beyond these walls, empowered by him who lives in us, to turn the world upside down for Jesus. Lord, we need you desperately during this time. I pray, Lord, for your guidance and the words that I say and how things are applied and in every part. I just pray that your will would be done now in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in verse 37, we see a little bit of a, a hint at the very beginning of verse 37 as to the background of what exactly is going on. I find it's very helpful when you read the scripture, not just to read the words that are in the passage, but to understand the setting, what's going on, what was happening, the cultural context, the, uh, the, the context of what people who were there might have been thinking as they were hearing the words read or spoken or the situations as they happen. And in verse 37, at the very beginning of the verse here, the scripture says, in the last day, that great day of the feast. And here we find that the words that were spoken, these words that many of you treasure, these words in which are the key to unlock God's power upon this waiting world. Here in this verse, it's very important to understand what was going on as these words were said. It says, in the last day, that great day of the feast. I think most of us recognize that in the Jews' yearly calendar, there were several feasts that were set there by God for a number of different purposes. I and my kids, uh, we've been walking through the Bible. I decided to dispense with all the dumb little children's storybooks that say that Jonah was just there to do... Uh, anyway, um, <coughs> I've decided to dispense with those things and just walk my kids through the Bible. My goal is to get them from Genesis 1-1 all the way through the end of Revelation by the time they go to college. I want to teach my kids the Bible. We're in the book of Numbers right now, and as we were studying through the book of Leviticus, yes, I took my kids through Leviticus. That was fun in many ways. <clears throat> um, but as we were going through the end of Exodus, Leviticus, as God laid out for the children of Israel what his command was for their annual calendar, God is the one that said that there were several times where they were to stop from all of the busyness of life, all of what they were doing to stop and celebrate and to remember what God had done in the past. One of the feasts that I'm sure you're familiar with is the Feast of Passover. And the purpose of this feast was through the, the recreation of, the, uh, of what happened in each home, Jewish person's home there that night in Egypt, they would remember that God is able to deliver them. No matter how bad things got, no matter how much they, through their own sinful choices, got themselves into a mess, God was able to deliver them. Really, the point of the Feast of Tabernacles is, uh, I'm sorry, the Feast of Passover was to remember what God had done. Now, this feast here in this verse is not the Feast of the Passover here. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. In fact, uh, back in chapter 7, verse 2, it says, Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. And here during this weekly week uh, of celebration, there were a few interesting things that God told his people to do. Um, he told them, how many of you here like to go camping? 
anybody here? Okay. Tent camping, RV camping. I like RV camping. That's not really camping, though. Um, but uh, God told his people, in essence, to have a camping trip in your backyard. Have any of you ever set up a tent in your backyard? Oh, wow. Y'all must have been homeschooled. <laughs> Just kidding. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> What God told them to do was, during this week of the Feast of Tabernacles, they were to take the sticks and branches that they found native in their, uh, in their surroundings, and they were to build a tent or a booth or a tabernacle in their backyard. And during certain portions of that week, they were to spend their time living in that tabernacle. Now you say, why would God tell them to do that? Well, the reason why God will tell them to do that is to get you to ask him why God would tell them to do that. Did you get that? In other words, the purpose of many of these ceremonies is to get them to ask the question, why? And I'm sure many times throughout Israel's history as they celebrated this God-ordained holiday, I am sure many times a little Jewish boy would walk up to his mom or dad and, and pull on their sleeve and say, hey, mom and dad, why, why, I really like this and everything that we do every year, but why do we do this? And it would give mom or dad the opportunity uh, to get down on their child's level and to explain to them, listen, son, listen, daughter, what happened, as you know, in our people's history is when God delivered us from the land of Egypt, as we were making our way to the promised land, we lived in tents. And there during that time, God took care of our every need. And the God who delivered us out of Egypt, the God who took care of our needs as we were on our way to the place that he had promised to us is the God who can deliver you now, is the God who can take care of your needs now, and the God who will deliver you from whatever it is that enslaves you. It was a teaching moment. The whole point of the tent, the booth, the tabernacle was to teach them about the character and past activities of God. But there during that week, if you know anything about it, um, it wasn't just living in a tent in the backyard that they were commanded to do by God that week. In fact, if you study what God had commanded them and what they did, even through traditions, what you will find that at the time of this writing, on the final day, the big day of the feast, everybody who was able would gather to the temple grounds. There, they would, they would all gather in, kind of like we're gathered here. They would gather in uh, this meeting place in the temple. And what would happen is the priest would get out of the vessels of the temple... He would get a particular utensil. He would get a golden pitcher. Now, I couldn't find any golden aluminum foil, so I did my best to improvise. He would get this golden pitcher, and what he would do is this priest, with a fanfare of the people, would walk outside of the temple. He would actually walk outside of a gate known as the Water Gate that was named because of this ceremony, not because of Richard Nixon. He would walk outside of the water gate and he would walk all the way over to the pool of Siloam. There, the priest, who was accompanied by people who were singing praises to God, would bend down and he would fill that golden pitcher with water from the pool of Siloam. The priest then accompanied with his band of singers and rejoicers and whatever they were doing would walk back into the temple. And the priest would get to the side of the altar, there would be two basins. I'm prepared. <laughs> you know, when you teach these things to kids, you gotta do, kids, you gotta do this kind of 
these kinds of things. We've had a lot of fun with my kids and Bible stories. What would happen is the priest would take that golden pitcher in front of everybody. And the people at this time, they had known kind of the ropes of what they were supposed to be doing. The people would with one accord recite, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. In fact, could we do that? Could you all say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. As they're reciting that, and I'll tell you to do it again in just a minute. As they were reciting that, what the priest would do is he would take this golden pitcher and he would slowly and deliberately pour the water from that pitcher into this basin to the side of the altar. So let's go ahead and demonstrate, all right? You ready? All right, you can stop. All right, well, that's enough of water on this very nice wooden floor here. All right. You know, as much as you might look at that, and you might think, um, as Brother Bosler just getting creative here in chapel, you know, maybe some there were, would be thinking, you know, boy, I wonder what that priest is up to. This is kind of weird. This is kind of interesting. Why is he doing that? Well, those who knew anything about the history of Israel would know that once again, God was teaching them something about his goodness from their own history. I think you all know the Bible story where the children of Israel were in the wilderness. They were complaining to God again, saying we don't have any water. And two times God led and gave a command to Moses to either strike the rock or speak to the rock. And water was to gush out from that rock and to meet the needs of those thirsty people there in the wilderness. Well, if you know anything about the Old Testament Scriptures, you will not only know that God wanted to quench the thirst of His people in the past, you also would know that God promised in His prophets that He, just as the water was pouring from this aluminum-covered pitcher into this basin, God promised that He would pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. And those that knew their Bible there in that gathering of God's people, as they watched him pour the water from the holy pitcher into this this vessel, this utensil dedicated to God's use, they knew that God one day promised that he would pour his Holy Spirit upon their people, the nation of Israel. Now, we're we're all dispensationalists here. I think we all understand that there is a sense in which the direct fulfillment of that is yet future in that there will come a day when Jesus reveals himself and God's people look upon him whom they have pierced. And then at that time, as Romans tells us, all Israel shall be saved. Israel as a whole, all of those who exist, who are alive at that point in time during the tribulation period, will turn to Jesus and will trust him alone as their sin bearer, as their Messiah. And at that moment in time, the entire nation of Israel will have the Spirit of God poured into them. We understand that there's a sense in which that's yet future. And yet here in this passage, Jesus isn't talking about something that's going to happen way off in the future. 
Jesus here in the midst of this time, in fact, what was happening at this moment, at this point in time, on this last day of the feast, I believe, I agree with Alfred Edersheim, I believe that what was happening is this very ceremony was going on. The people were sitting in the temple area. They were reciting, what was it? Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And as they were doing that, the water was being poured and they were all thinking, God wants to quench our thirst. God will quench our thirst. And in the midst of this all, as people's minds were set on what God was going to do, a man stands up in the midst of the crowd. And he says, if any man thirst." Let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You got to catch the setting Jesus was saying, I am the fulfillment of all that this celebration on the final day of the Feast of Tabernacles was pointing towards. I am am it. Now, what is Jesus getting at here? What was he saying? Here I mentioned Jesus is using an analogy, and the best way I can communicate this analogy in our 21st century concept, con context is Jesus was saying that you and I are nothing but a hose. Now, hoses are important when you have a fifth wheel trailer, right, Brother Ingram? It's very important that you connect your hose to the right place, right, Brother Ingram? I think we've all experienced times when we have uh, plugged the hose into the wrong spot. You know, if you do not have a hose, you do not have running water. And that makes for a very smelly evangelist in family, okay? <clears throat> we've got to shower, we've got to drink, we've got to wash our dishes, we've got to do what we need to do. And there's a very real sense in which in our trailer, we need the water to do what we do. And in order to get the water from its source to where it's needed, you need a hose. Sometimes you need a lot of hose. Remember Lisbon, Charlie? We needed a lot of hose there. Yeah, man, I've had pastors go out and buy me lots of hoses because they feel so bad. But anyway, um, what Jesus is essentially saying is this. There are two directions to this water. Direction number one is this. There's a sense in which we have need in and of ourselves. He says, if any man thirst. The idea there is that the need, the thirst, the lack of water is in us. You ever felt thirsty? Don't just mean you need a drink of water. Have you ever had that longing in your soul? all that God wants for you. You know, there are certain times in our lives when we don't have that longing, where we're not very thirsty. I tend to find those times are when we're in times of self-centeredness. You know, Christmas break can be a time that we dedicate to me time. You know, when you're at school, you know you've got Young people in your Sunday school class that you're going to need God's power for on Sunday morning. Maybe you think about that, maybe you don't. You know that come Monday night or Saturday morning or whenever you go out soul winning, you know that there are going to be some people out there that need God's presence to flow through you. You know that. But there's something about going home on break. When we lose the thirst, 
We lose the focus and our attention gets all on ourselves. And I believe it's during those, those times when we are not thirsty that we make many personal compromises in our lives. When the church, when the church members do not understand their mission, they get themselves involved in all kinds of impurity, as we heard in the last session. You know, when, when the church gets focused on themselves and when the church doesn't understand and doesn't have in the forefront of their minds the needs of the world around them, and when they're all focused on me taking a break, me doing what I want to do, me finally having a few minutes to do what I've wanted to do all semester, but I've been too busy to do it. We lose our context. We lose our thirst. And many times we lose our purity. And really, the greatest loss is the loss of those who should have heard the gospel witness through our mouths. But what Jesus is saying here in this passage is, listen, if you're here and you're thirsty, I want you to know something. There is a water that satisfies. There is a water that can not only satisfy your thirst, but can stream through you to meet the thirst of others. There is a water that fills and flows. There is a water that quenches your thirst and equips you for outreach. You see what Jesus is saying, there are two directions. On the one hand, if you yourself is thirsty, I can tell you where you can find the water that will quench that thirst and meet your need. Come to me, Jesus says. I am the water of life, he said elsewhere. And yet, in the next verse, he changes directions. Did you notice this? Have you ever noticed this? The first verse, he's talking about you, your thirst, your need. Jesus is the answer for you. Come to him. But in verse 38, he, he shifts the direction. He says, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said. What are the next two words? Let's try that again. What are the next two words? Out of. Out of. Now wait, what was the direction before in verse 37 was you have the thirst. Come to me. I will allow the water to come into you and meet your need. But in verse 38, he says, okay, now that your need is met, let's take it a step further. I want the water not just to, to enter you and quench your thirst. I want it to flow through you to quench the thirst of all of those around you. These two directions are absolutely necessary to have a balanced understanding of the Christ life. I find that many times, <clears throat> as we are pursuing Christ's life, we get very self-focused. My victory. My conscience needs to be cleared. My ministry, my well-being, my future, my growth. Listen, as much as you need to grow and you need to take care of your own issues, if that's where you stop, you've only fulfilled half of the Christ life. See, I, I'm convinced that many people want revival because they want to feel better about themselves. Many people want revival because they want to be free of those sin issues that make them feel guilty all the time. They want 
their needs met. And listen, Jesus wants your needs met too. But what happens so many times is in a, in a time of preaching, uh, concentrated preaching like this or other crises in our lives, we come to Jesus and he quenches our thirst and maybe we, we deal with something or maybe we have a, an experience with the Lord and listen, we need those times where we meet with God. We have to know him or we will end up uh, going places we never dreamed we'd go. But if you knowing God does not lead you to share God with others. It's only half the experience. I um, Outreach is not something that we're all just itching to do. I understand. <laughs> um, on last Wednesday, we were meeting together. I'm in the Ignite Fellowship, which is the Young Couples fellowship, and uh, we were meeting together, and we were talking about, you know, plans for the next week, and Jake Allen, I've mentioned him before in testimonies like this, Jake Allen looks at me and says, hey, you going to go out with me next week? It's like, oh, yeah, sure, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, we've got opening meetings, we've got a lot going on here next week, and, and I, I said to Jake, I said, well, you know, I might have some time on Monday afternoon, and he's like, okay, let's do Monday afternoon, and so we planned it, and it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but I've got so much to do. I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I know I'm supposed to go out soul winning, but you know, if there was ever a week that I could get out of it and feel fine about it, see how self-focused that is? It would be opening week. You know, it's like Victory Conference week, right? Nobody expects you to go out soul winning Victory Conference week. I mean, at least nobody's going to, you know, write you a little note that you didn't go out or anything. But I knew it was the right thing to do. I didn't feel anything. In fact, um, just, before, uh, just before that time came, it was, uh, I think it was right, uh, well, just before that time, um, somebody texted me from the office and said a couple packages had arrived. And of course, you know, my wife's due on January 17th, so we're like eight days away now, nine days away, something like that. And uh, that was his new car seat and crib. We got like one of these neat folding wooden crib things, not a pack and play. It's like the next step up. Because um, you can't have, you know how big cribs are nowadays? They're huge. You could have a baby Tyrannosaurus in that thing. <laughs> but, <clears throat> um, so I got this crib, and if you know anything about me, those of you that have traveled with me, you know I'm very, very impatient when it comes to stuff like that. You know, if I buy something at the store, I open it in the car before I get home. How many of you are like that? You got to open it up right away. How many of you, I'll wait till I get home. Okay, you're the more mature of us. But, um, you know, the thing came in the office, and I knew Jake was going to be showing up in just a couple minutes, but I tear the box open, I pull out all the screws and everything, and I'm putting this thing together, and I'm loving it, and Jake arrives before I'm done, and I'm just thinking, man, it'd be real easy just to tell him, you know, I'm kind of in the middle of a project here, you know. I'm in the middle of something. I got a lot going on. I got a crib to build for my son who's going to be here in nine days. <laughs> And if you know me, when I get onto something, I have a real hard time getting off of it. And it took everything in me to say, you know what, okay, I'm just going to set this aside. And I set it aside. And, you know, the whole time we're walking out, I'm thinking, you know, okay, I still need to do this. I need to make sure I don't lose these screws. And, well, we get out and we, we even pulled some visits. And there were no visits for Ignite that were men 
And uh, so we went up to foundations. We pulled a couple of visits from them and a couple from Cornerstone, the next one up. And, you know, when we're looking and I'm thinking, okay, here, here's what we'll do. We'll go check on, on one man that I've led to the Lord. And I've tried to disciple him and he's never home. And if he is home, he always has something else to do. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe we could go there and, you know, he won't be home and, you know. <laughs> well, he wasn't home. And, but we had those visits. But I'm thinking, man, those visits are really far away. Like one is all the way down by St. Joe's. I mean, I could go down there and just wait for my wife to come when she has the baby. That's a long way away. We drove down and we stopped at this one house. There's a man named Jamel who came to the Christmas program. And we went up and we knocked, we rang the doorbell and somebody came down and I said, hey, is Jamel there? And this young teenager, about 16 years old, big old poof on top of his head. Not the one that comes here, a different one. And um, he, uh, he says, no, Jamel's not here. Kind of like, leave me alone. Jamel's not here. And, and okay, if you know what I preached last fall about just get to the key questions. Just get to the key questions. I was honestly, I, I was a little caught off guard. I was like, okay, well, we got some stuff we want to give to you. You know, here's gospel track. It shows you how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to ask him. So tell me. If something were to happen to you and you were to die, do you know 100% for sure that all your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven and that you're on your way to heaven? No, I don't. What do you think a person needs to do? To, uh, what do you think a person needs to depend on to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life? I have no idea. And I'm thinking, surely he doesn't have time. But I said, uh, you know, I got a little pamphlet here, the How Tract. If you have a few minutes, I could walk you through what it says and just show you from the Bible what, what you have to do. He's like, yeah, sure, let's go in. We went in and I, I pretty much just read through the how track, very basic explanation. At the end, he bowed his head and trusted Christ. And, and you know, <clears throat> his name is Sincere. <laughs> and I do believe he was sincere in his decision. <clears throat> but you know, come to find out, he goes to Menominee Falls High School. And I know we're really trying to do, to, you know, increase our presence there and um, he was open to Bible study. In fact, he was open to coming to church here. His dad has been to Cornerstone before, and I'm thinking, man, this is a great opportunity to get this guy out, pass along the information to Dave and Summer. And I guess I'm just saying all that to say, if you do not have outflow, as you've heard before, you will stagnate. I'll be honest with you, I didn't have as much outflow over Christmas as I wish I had. And you know, it's amazing when you do not have the waters flowing through you, you don't have the context. There's something about gen actually being disobedient to God, which is really what it is. Let's just be honest. It hurts your conscience. It hurts your walk with Christ. The dominoes can fall. If, if you want to be this conduit of Christ, you need to be connected to the source. I think we understand this. Um, Jesus Christ is the reservoir from which all spiritual blessings flow. Um, the Apostle Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus is where all spiritual blessings come from. I remember Pastor Gilmore talking about this years ago. I don't know if he's still in here or not. 
Um, but I remember him very, years ago saying, spiritual blessings do not come from the disciplines. They do not come from certain formulas that you invent. They come from Jesus. And the glorious news is you and I, when we trusted Christ as our Savior, we got hardwired to the reservoir from which all spiritual blessings flow. You are connected. That's what Romans 6 is all about. You're in Him. He's in you. You are connected. You have everything you need for the waters to flow. You've got to get connected to the source, and if you trusted Christ as your Savior, you are, but you also need to get directed towards the need. I've given this illustration before. Forgive me for those of you that have heard this before, but um, this is a dumb illustration, so just bear with me. In New Jersey, where I'm from, there is, uh, my, my parents always talk about Jersey tomatoes. Any of you ever eaten Jersey tomatoes? Okay, my dad swears they're the best tomatoes on planet Earth. Something about the soil there in Jersey, it just makes for incredible tomatoes. As a young person, one of my jobs was to go out into my backyard and to water our little tomato garden that we had because we didn't want to buy them from the farm stand. We wanted to grow them ourselves. Cheaper way to go, you know? And so my job, if you can imagine over here, was the tomato garden. It wasn't big. It was probably about this big, this big. Uh, some of you all saw the famous tomato garden, and I think saw it at my house. It's just, there's no tomatoes there anymore. But anyway, um, so just a small plot of ground over here and over to this side of, of my backyard, there was just a little hose caddy. It's still there, still just as leaky as ever. And um, what I would do to fulfill my job, to do my responsibilities, I would take the hose, put it over my shoulder. You know, it, had, it was one of those ones with the wheel, you know what I'm saying, that rolls up on itself. I would take, take the hose and I would, you know, pull it and walk over, and, you know, it'd get stuck and you just kind of keep pulling it over. And I, I want you to imagine if here I am, my job is to water the tomato garden. If I water the tomato garden, I have accomplished my purpose as a young person in the Bosler household, okay? So I've got the little nozzle, you know? So I take the spray hose Attached to the hose, which is supposed to get the water from the source to the need. And I take this spray nozzle and imagine if I point it. Okay, imagine first here. If I, if I take this spray nozzle and I go like this. Here's the tomato garden. And I go just like this. <laughs> Question. Am I getting the job done? Depends on how you define the job. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> no, I, if I actually want to accomplish my job. I need to point the hose towards where it's, the water's needed, right? Okay. So let, let's, let's just imagine here, as may have happened for you at some point in your life, I take this hose, I take this spray nozzle, I point it at where the water is needed, I pull the trigger. <clears throat> Nothing. Maybe a few drips here and there, but I know it's not supposed to work like this. What in the world? If I find myself in a situation like that, I've got a couple of things that I could do. One of the things that I could do is I could say, you know what? This is dumb. Why should I do this? You know what? This has never worked before. Forget it. I'm never watering a tomato garden ever again. And I could just totally give up on the whole thing and walk away with the job get accomplished. Now there's something else I could do. I could be here and, you know, <clears throat> that water's not coming, and I could say, you know what? You know what? You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to be a faithful Christian. 
a faithful tomato garden waterer. I'm not gonna be like those new evangelical tomato garden waterers. I'm gonna be a faithful, independent, Baptist, missionary-minded tomato garden waterer. And I'm gonna start a blog to go after all the other people who don't water their tomato gardens right. Because I'm going to be faithful. And every day, I come out and I do exactly the same thing. And I grab the same hose. And I walk over towards the same need, you know, and knock on the door to the tomato garden and point the nozzle. And I pull the trigger and nothing happens. But bless God, I've done my duty. Question, is the job actually accomplished? Is there something else wrong? You think about the scenario here. For those of you that have heard me do this, please be quiet. What's the problem? Why isn't the water flowing? What's going on? What's... Well, there's a couple options here, <laughs> any of which could be accurate. You know, the first place I'm going to start is this. I'm going to go over. I'm just going to make sure the hose is connected, because that'd be a real bummer if it was just kind of lying on the ground the whole time. <laughs> Okay, you know what? It's connected. It's, we're fine. That's good. It doesn't take very long to diagnose that one. It's connected to the source, if I could say. But you know, there is this little yellow round thing, over, or this little uh, blue round thing over here. I'm not sure what that is. It's kind of sticking out of the wall with a round thing attached to the top of it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I wonder if anything would change if I tried something with that. I'm going to try it. So, okay. Whoa, this is different. Little boingy streams of water are coming out of the hose caddy. You've had caddies like that. Huh. This is interesting. Well, let's see how this works. And let's say I grab the same hose in the same spot, in the same backyard, in front of the same tomato garden with the same nozzle. I even have the same form. And I pull the trigger, and you know what? Whereas before, nothing happened. When the nozzle is turned, it's amazing how things are different. The water flows. And the needs of those poor tomato plants are met, and you know what? My job is truly accomplished. You know, just as far as this passage right here, what is, just, just look at the verse again. Look at verse 38. What is the nozzle turn that causes the waters to flow. Look at verse 38 again. He that what? He that believeth on me. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Faith is the key. Dependence, as we say it here. But I recognize you're Baptist College of Ministry students. This isn't news to you. And yet, perhaps, as is always the possibility, you have drifted into a subtle form of self-dependence when it comes to your soul. And do you realize that if you go out, depending on the fact that you've got an A in netcasters, do you realize the water won't flow? realize if you go out there thinking, you know what, I got a winsome personality. I know how to do this. You know how many times I've done this? I know what I'm doing. Do you think that if you're depending on yourself, the waters will flow? You know they might, because the gospel is pretty powerful. It's a powerful message. And you know what? I'm so glad that God doesn't always wait until I get it just exactly perfect to use me. 
But you know what? The fact of the matter is you turn on that nozzle. You get out where that need is and you open your mouth and declare the message and let, as we've heard said before, the waters flow. It is amazing what God will do. Those of you that have been with me on the road, isn't it amazing to see the waters flow? You end up in a crisis. <laughs> the young person's there, but they're not interested, and, and yet we pray. We get along with God. We plead for him to come, and we get up off of our knees and go saying, all right, God, you've got to do it now. And it's not just, oh, you've got to do it, where we sit back and passively do nothing. That's not faith. It's God, you've got to do it. So we're going to call these young people to get them to come. God, you've got to do it. And when they come, it's not just saying, oh, well, they're here. They'll get saved now. No, it's we've got to pray. We've got to plead. We've got to preach. We've got to talk to them afterwards because we're depending upon God to do it. But, there, you know, again, I recognize this is not something that is foreign to us here. There's one more point I, I do want to talk about, though. I don't always talk about this when I, when I preach this message. But there is another potential reason why the water doesn't flow. There's a story told by S.D. Gordon in his book, Quiet Talks on Power. In the book, he talks about a Colorado mountain town that had had a, a recent uh, surge in, in industry and people moving into its borders because they had, uh, the industrious citizens of that place had realized there was a mountain lake just up the mountain, and this mountain lake was just a seemingly endless reservoir of water, and what they did is they piped water from that lake down to their town. And, and as was just completely unheard of there in that part of the West, they, in their town, had running water from a mountain lake. That was amazing. Well, people heard about it. They moved from all over. The industry boomed there in that area. People were moving and stuff was happening there in that town. But there came a day when the ladies woke up in the morning and they went to their kitchen sinks and they turned the faucet and nothing happened. Few noises, some sputtering, but ultimately they didn't get what they needed. Well, for, for weeks, weeks turned into months. They didn't do anything. They didn't know what the problem was. They figured, well, maybe it'll turn back on eventually. And sure enough, though, days turned into weeks, like I said, and no water came. Uh, people started moving away. They thought, well, you know, this place used to have the water. This used to be the place to be, but with no water, we'll go somewhere else. Until one day, the mayor of the town received a, a handwritten note in, in horrible grammar, bad spelling. It said, if you'll just pull the plug about eight inches from the top of the pipe, you'll get all the water ye want, he said. They sent a band of men up to that lake, and they in, investigated where that pipe was coming from that lake. And sure enough, just a few inches down from the top of the pipe, there was a plug that some uh, vandal had input into that pipe. They pulled the plug, and how things were different. The water flowed. That town had all the water that they needed. After telling that story, Brother Gordon says this, why is there such a lack of power in our lives? The reservoir up yonder is full to overflowing, with clear, sweet, life-giving water. And here, all around us, the earth is so dry, so thirsty, cracked open, huge cracks, like dumb mouths asking mutely for what we should give. 
And the connecting pipe between the reservoir above and the parched plain below are there. Why then do not the refreshing waters come rushing down? The answer is very plain. You know why. There is a plug in the pipe. Something in us clogging up the channel and nothing can get through. How shall we have power, abundant, life-giving, sweetening our own lives and changing those we touch? The answer is easy for me to give. It will be much harder for us all to do. Pull out the plug. Get out the thing that you know is hindering. As much as it would be easy for me to stand up here and tell you the moment there comes one piece of hidden sin into your life, God's power is completely clogged, that would be an oversimplification. In fact, I think that oversimplification at times can be somewhat dangerous. Here's why. Maybe you're here this week and you're wrestling in your heart with something something you know you probably should deal with. I'm sure many of you in that last session, I know many of you, God dealt in your hearts and many of you responded and went back to, to talk to God and, and, and even to get some counsel. But you know, maybe there are some you haven't come through, you haven't dealt with everything and, and you might think, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's, it's fine, I'll be fine, i just get through the week. It's not that big of a deal. I'm, I'm just gonna just kind of leave it. I'm just gonna assume that I don't. I'll just deal with it between me and God. And listen, you'd better, but some things you need to talk to man about. Here's what's so dangerous about that. Come soul winning time. Let's say you go out with undealt with sin and you do lead somebody to Christ. You know what can happen? You can say, well, I guess I didn't need to deal with it after all. I guess I'm good. I guess I'm fine, and we can use the mercy drops as an excuse to keep the plug in. Um, over Christmas, just to kind of maybe illustrate this, I, I, I'm always every year, Pastor, so jealous of the Christmas program people because they get to grow beards. <laughs> I'm so jealous of them. And I, I feel like, you know, I, I'm not here normally, normally during the Christmas program, so I don't get to grow a beard, so I decided... I was going to grow a beard over Christmas, and I spent, you know, slave, you know, I slaved for hours and days and weeks growing that thing, and um, and I I came back and and um, I was here for a couple days, but I hadn't been here for a service yet, and um, I thought, you know, I I'm I don't really want anybody to feel like I'm flaunting or that I'm trying to push the envelope. I mean, nobody said, thou shalt not have a beard, but I just thought, you know, which by the way, that kind of an attitude is a good attitude to have, not wanting to cause offense or anything like that. Well, anyway, I was like, you know what, I'm going to shave this off here before I come for service. So I, um, Miss Bernshine, I, we're staying at Miss Bernshine's house there, the Golden Harp. It's a wonderful place to stay. We really enjoyed it. And I remember I got, got in front of the mirror, and okay, I'm, this is going to reveal the fact that I'm a millennial, I set my phone up on the top of the mirror on a time lapse, okay? Because <clears throat> I just wanted to retain this memory, you know, for posterity. 
And um, so, you know, I, I'm shaving, and, you know, man, there's a lot of hair on my face, and I'm shaving, and, you know, the, the hair's going down into the sink. I'm sorry, I don't want to be disgusting or anything here, but, you know, I'm shaving, I'm shaving, I'm shaving, and it's amazing how smooth your face feels after a beard. It's awesome. Anyway, I'm shaving away, shaving away, shaving away, you know, the little, little stubbles going into the sink and, and down the drain, and, you know, at first, the water's going down just fine, right? But I had a pretty good beard. I had a good bit of hair there, you know. Uh, not as much as I would have liked, but, you know, it was, it was pretty good. And um, what I started noticing was closer to the end, the water wasn't draining as quickly. And, um, but you know what? If I left it there, in fact, I, I, at one point I just kind of stood there and looked at it. it. It would, you know, very slowly go down. The water would go even though the drain was filled with sludge. And I thought, you know, every individual little whisker isn't necessarily going to fully stop up the drain. But you know what? You leave those things in there over time, and it gets pretty gross. In fact, near the end, I remember unscrewing the little top and reaching down. I was thinking, I didn't think my hair was that long. <laughs> but I kind of pulled the sludge, you know, the hairball out of there and threw it in the garbage. And, and you know what? Water went down just fine after that. The reason why I give that interesting illustration is because I don't want you to oversimplify this. You got stuff that's on your conscience. Deal with it. Have that conversation. I I'm not going to say that God won't use you ever at all in any way if you don't, but I am saying this. Samson didn't lose his power the first time he disobeyed God. But there did come a point when the power of God departed. And he didn't even realize it. It's very possible that there could be some upperclassmen here. You've let little things by, just little whiskers of hidden sin, things here and there that you feel like, you know, by itself is not that big of a deal, but I want you to know when that thing coagulates into a nasty hairball, I'm telling you, it's going to stop draining. And it might be a whole lot harder to deal with that thing at that point in time than just to deal as things happen along the way. The fact of the matter is, God wants His church to be full of individuals through whom the life-giving power of Christ flows. If we do not depend upon Jesus, it won't flow. And if we've got sin that's clogging our pipe, so to speak, it will not flow. And I'm not here to beat you over the head with this stuff. I'm here because you want the waters to flow. I'm speaking this today because you want your life to make a difference. So what we're going to do here at this time is we're going to have an invitation. So let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. I know in the last session it was a heavy session. I know in the last session a number of you responded. You dealt with some things. You had some conversations. But I also know the propensity of our hearts. And I know that it is more 
than just possible, it is likely that there are some, perhaps a good number, that have not yet dealt with what God has spoken to you about. Pastor, can you come and take the invitation?